Camel boots on my feet, bow in my hand. Walking in the Hornady presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends. I'm the Red Bull Mike Race. Uh, Wayne Locke is in the studio. Alex joins us via the telephone here for a little bit. On today's show, Alex, where in the world are you and what are you doing? I am at Eminence, Missouri at the Beezer Corporate Office for the Midwest Division. And we have been building a security fence around our office. We had a lawnmower stolen here a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, and we're trying to protect what we got here. Ah, well, you got to do that, man. If you got a business and you have stuff that is that is stored around, you got to have a fence around it and security cameras. And security cameras. We do have security cameras now. So if the person that took our lawnmower is listening, we will catch you. There you go. <laughs> Speaking of catching people, Alex, I saw a post this morning uh, by the Missouri Department of Conservation. There has been a uh, a deer that was poached in Shannon County. I forget exactly where. Uh, the deer was found. got a bullet hole in its gut, but its head was gone. And apparently somebody killed it just to uh, take the antlers in velvet. You're kidding me. No, and that's a sad situation. You know, if, if you're going to do it, uh, take the whole deer. Because here's what happens. Uh, that that makes people unsympathetic to people that might need to kill a deer to have something to eat. Right. Because that just proves right there that the poachers aren't out for the meat. They're doing it simply for the horns. And the horns couldn't have been that big. Exactly. And I want to say this. They may have just killed the deer that a child's first chance to kill that deer was taken away. So they need to think about that. You know, it's not all about I. It's about our kids. You know, our kids... Uh, is the future of hunting. We need to take care of our kids, man. They need to have a right and experience what you and I have. So it really aggravates me when people do that. Yeah, it really does. And, I'm, and I'm, it, that's just one that just happened to be found, and I know it happens all the time all over the country, and uh, it's, it's just a sad situation. All right, you talk about the kids. Alex, one of my early memories as a kid, as far as the outdoors goes, was coming to Thayer to visit. I grew up in St. Louis and going with my cousins, and we'd go out frogging in the summertime to get some frog legs to have a frog leg fry over grandpa and grandma's well the frog season opens june 30th and runs through october 31st what a great family activity it is uh, have you ever done it wayne yeah actually i did uh, we used to do a lot of frogging up in canada uh, believe it or not, the frogs up there were ginormous. They look like small chickens. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier <laughs> up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you, for our listeners, if you've never been frogging, what you do, you can do it during the daytime, but a lot of people will do it at night and you use a, a light, mm-hmm. and you make a frog, you can buy a frog gig, and you put it on that, like a broomstick handle or a longer type handle, and what you do is you walk the pond banks, you want to wear good snake boots, like good lacrosse snake boots, and uh, you use a light, and you walk around the pond, and you slip up to them, and you gig them. Yeah. And when you spin them, you, you cut the bottom uh, two legs off at, at their waist, and you pull the skin off of them. And you soak them in salt water overnight, and uh, you roll them in flour and salt and pepper, and you fry them. Yeah, but don't forget to cut that tendon, or they'll jump out of the pan. 
Yeah, they will. It's funny. <laughs> if you've never seen frog legs being cooked when you put them in a skill, they'll go to jumping everywhere. It's probably funny. We're not meaning to be gross, but it, it's reality. Well, yeah. I got burnt that way the first time I cooked uh, frog legs. Oh, because yeah. I was right next to it. I didn't know. I mean, we were in Canada. We were canoeing. We oh, did boy. a... Uh, we did a fly and drop off, and uh, we had a canoe 250 miles back. And there, what you do is, as you're just canoeing, you see the, the eyes sticking up in the lily pad. Yeah. You just take your paddle right over the head, yeah, and uh, pick them up when they float back up. But I did not know they jumped around. And when we put them in that hot grease, man, that stuff splashed and burnt <laughs> me. Oh, not good when you don't have a hospital nearby. It'll do it. And Alex mentioned that Alex mentioned you can use a spotlight. That is legal for frogging in Missouri. Yes. Uh, and really about the only thing you can hunt right now uh, that you can use a spotlight at night. You can also shoot them with a twenty two or an air rifle. I mean, hmm. that's legal to do. Now, here's the difference. If you're just going to grab them or you're going to gig them, um, and you can use a – some people use grab hooks and a fishing pole and try and get them that way. Uh, you have to have a fishing fishing license. Now, if you're going to shoot them with a twenty two, or you're going to shoot them with a bow, and you can do it with a fish bow, yeah. you can, you've got to have a hunting license. Wow. A small game that hunting is license. correct. Yeah. That is correct. And I want to go back to what Wayne was saying. It sounds like Wayne has PTSD over this trauma. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, what a memory. Yeah, really. We got some other news, got some other news for our listeners. Uh, and you want to share that, Redbone? Well, I can. And that is anybody that wants to hunt in one of the uh, 100 or so managed deer hunts in Missouri uh, for deer hunting. Uh, the uh, the beginning date to apply is July 1st. You can apply online through the Missouri Department of Conservation's website. And uh, Alex, they've got you know bow hunts, they've got muzzleloader hunts, they've got rifle hunts uh, where you can go into conservation areas, uh, state and other parks, uh, national wildlife refuges. And uh, they have these managed hunts. A lot of them are for handicapped uh, people. Uh, a lot of youth hunts, and for people with disabilities. So it, it really is a, a cool thing to do in Missouri. And the application period is July 1st through the 31st, and hunters are selected by a weighted random drawing. So if you want to do one of those hunts, uh, you need to get your applications in um, beginning July 1st and running through the end of the month. Yeah, I want to say don't ever underestimate these places that you can draw to hunt. I, I'll share a quick hunt that i done one time I was on the – on the road doing promotions, and uh, I was up at Hannibal, Missouri, and I believe the name of the conservation area is J. Thad Brown. It wasn't but like 40 acres right beside Highway 61, I believe what it was, 61. And I went in and bow hunted, and I rattled in one of the biggest non-typical deer I've rattled in in my life. Wow. And quick story, long story short, uh, as the deer was coming in, I got so nervous. This is when I was earlier in my bow hunting that uh, I went to put on my release, and I pushed my arrow off my bowstring, and it dinged at the stand. He's not 35 yards oh, looking boy. up at me. So I ruined it on a 200-inch deer. Oh, yeah. wow. Well, that, just, yeah. that, that just makes Don't you sick, doesn't it? That just makes you sick. It did make me sick, and I didn't have a camera with me or nothing, but I ended up killing a, a small deer for a meat deer up there, but it was fun. But uh yeah, we've got a good show lined up, too, everybody uh, that's listening all across the world and all across the country. Uh, Wayne has invited a great guest. And for all you women outdoors women that love the outdoors, we've got a great show lined up for everybody. Wayne, you want to tell us about it? Yeah, we're going to have a, uh author, Christine Houtman. She goes by a pen name, K.J. Houtman. Um, she did a series of kids' books um, where she takes a story revolves around a 12-year-old boy and 
he's him uh, turning 12 and getting his first gun and uh, it's all about uh, introducing kids to fishing and camping and hunting and uh, then later on she did another book uh, called women who hunt and it uh, talks about uh, interviewing with 18 different women from all different uh, places and backgrounds and ages and uh, it's going to be a great uh, great show with her okay I'm looking forward to talking to her about all this I know too because there and, and Alex uh, you can agree with this too there aren't a whole lot of I don't want this to sound terrible or bad there aren't a whole lot of women authority figures in the outdoors mm-hmm. right you know a whole lot I mean there's Brenda Valentine that, that comes to mind mm-hmm. and uh, there would be this lady as a, as a hunter and there are a few others Tiffany Lukoski and and some of those but uh, there's not and we need more women to draw other women into the outdoors industry. Well, I agree 100%, but I also want to add to this, and I'm not being mean, but I'm I'm being real. Uh, If you are a lady and you want to be involved in the outdoors, do not try to sell your body. Do not try to sell your appearance. Be a real outdoors woman with great values and and deep roots into the hunting, and you'll go far. So don't let your body try to sell yourself. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah, I would would agree with that, too. Be, uh, as Alex said, be real. Right. Be real. All right, so um, it's uh, time for us to take our break. We're, we're going to have, uh, what what's their pen name was? K.J. Hellman. K.J. will be joining us here on the American Roots Outdoors radio program in just a few minutes. Ladies especially, you don't want to miss what she has to say. We'll be back in just a moment. This is Brenda Valentine, and you're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and Friends. I've been on a big board for a while. I can load him in the back of my truck. We can take it to a holler. Hornady presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends. Out the red bone, Mike Crace. Wayne Locke is here in the studio. And, Wayne, we have our guest on the line. Uh, please explain to folks who we are going to talk to today. Yes, we are going to talk to the author of uh, Why Women Hunt. And she also did a series of kids' books, which we're also going to touch base on. But this is, uh, we got Christine Houtman. She goes by pen name KJ uh, Houtman on the, on the uh, phone with us. How are you doing today? I am great. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Oh, no. We thank you for taking the time out of your day to, to come on the radio here with us. Absolutely. So let's, let's start with how you got started, uh, KJ. You'd like to go by your pen name? Yeah, sure. That's good. Okay. All right, KJ. How did you actually get started writing? I mean, what was your inspiration there? Well, I had a business degree, and I the writing that I did was mostly press releases and some things that we covered for all the fishing tournaments that I ran back in the day. I ran walleye tournaments for quite a lot of years. And um, and so there would be some things that might be in the magazine and stuff like that. But I hadn't really done a whole lot of creative writing, avid reader. And um, I would always be astonished how much it meant to the guys that would win a fishing tournament. Sometimes they'd be in tears on stage receiving this trophy for a championship or something. And, and I just knew that it was a dream come true. So my start for writing was um, kind of a staycation. And I decided I was going to kind of tackle taking that character and making him about 11 years old and dreaming of turning 12 and being able to fish his first tournament. So that was my inspiration for the beginning of writing. And I'm nine books in. Nine books in. That's amazing. So uh, uh, so the character in your children's books, the little boy, is, is he a composite of these people that you knew that fished the tournaments, or is he one in particular? 
oh, he's definitely a composite, and he has a lot more qualities, I would say, too, of my own kids kind of rolled together who are now grown and have given me six grandchildren. So um, it's also sort of the adventures of us living on Lake Minnetonka and our own kids with some of their mishaps and <laughs> exciting things, too, that, that happened along the way. But I just figured that a guy who was a tournament angler and who was incredibly good at problem solving and finding fish had probably been like that his whole life and was already good even at 11 or 12. And his friends were already starting to lean on him to ask him what to do or where to go. And that this has been very much a part of his entire life and looking for that opportunity where he could really stand on stage and show that he figured it out. And um, so I took that kind of idea of motivation and uh, maybe pleasing some of the adults in his world or impressing some of the adults in his world. And let's face it, that doesn't always happen easily. So not everything comes easy in, in uh, the story for, for Gus either. Well, that, that's good uh, lessons learned then for kids that are reading. And if I remember right, uh, the uh, age group for the kids that read these books are like between the ages of 8 and 14. Is that the kind of the key group you're looking at doing? Eight and twelve is kind of what I publish. Okay. Um, in a school system, they've used them in like fourth grade pretty successfully, but I've had as young as second grade readers be able to handle them just fine as long as they're a really good reader. Um, and I would say that kind of holds for like eight to twelve. And I think your point on what you were talking about, how these fishermen that you were talking with, the pro guys that they probably, as a kid, people went to them as a kid, and they probably already led th- with their techniques and their skills and their desire to do this, because we've had a few pro fishermen on the radio, and they that's probably one thing they all have in common. They were good back then. And I there's a oh, few yes, guys I, I fished I with that were great as a kid, and you went to them at 12 years old. You're going to the, another kid saying, hey, how are you doing this? Yeah, I absolutely wanted to build that in, that this is something that's very, very foundational to who they are. And to be able to compete is just something that makes sense for them. Um, And it's just part of how they're wired. And I wanted to build that into the character and have a couple of friends where they have sort of their casual fun on the lake and their adventures. Um, My character is maybe a little bit more of the childhood that I grew up with, which didn't have too much adult supervision and you had a lot of free time to run and go and do during the day. And Mm -hmm. as long as you were home by dinner time, that's all that was asked. So uh, my character maybe has a little bit more of an old fashioned upbringing, but uh, it's set in modern times. You know, that that sounds like uh, maybe they grew up in the, in the sixties and seventies, like, like I did. And uh, uh, I remember when, you know, Saturday mornings when we didn't have school, uh, you know, we were out of the house by eight, if not before. And mom would say suppers at five, be back then. Right. And and we wouldn't see home until five o'clock, and there were no cell phones yep. or anything to even let anybody know where you were. I mean, it was just <laughs> it was just a, a whole different time. And uh, I wish we could go back there, to be quite honest, and and raise our kids and and my grandkids could grow up in that kind of atmosphere. But uh, you have to know a lot about fishing to write about fishing. So, are you a fisher person as well? Well, I am, but I just never got good at it. And I surrounded myself my whole life around really talented anglers. But I just have to own the fact that nobody wants me in a tournament boat with them. And I just kind of have to own that one. It's just, there, there's a skill set. There really is. And, 
And I got so spoiled in my career because I have 25 years in the fishing industry. I got so spoiled by really good anglers taking me fishing and always taking me where they had already found fish. Or maybe we were pre-fishing and we were ruling out um, the B, C, D, E spots or something like that, too. And um, so I just had so many people kind of hand it to me that I never really grasped it on my own. And so my husband gets frustrated if I take him out fishing and we don't catch fish, which has happened more often than the times <laughs> when I get him on fish. See, now that's just the it. opposite for me and my wife. She she would rather take someone else fishing with her because she outfishes me every time we go. <laughs> well, good for her. Yeah, I, 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 and I don't know how she does it. I'll say... Cows. I'll ask her, why did you choose that lure? She because she'll look at it. She goes, because it's pretty and it looks like it would catch a fish. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know what comes? What kind of comes to mind here? And uh, is uh, that movie with Don Knotts where he had written a book about fishing, and then they got him to go fish in the tournament, and he had no idea what he was doing. Right. You remember that movie? It was a long time ago. And Don Knotts just made it even that much funnier. Right. The company I was working for bought this fishing tournament circuit, so it kind of got thrown at me. I had been in the fishing industry for a long time, working at the ICAST trade show, which Mm -hmm. if you're in the fishing business, you know that's the annual trade show for that. And the association is the American Sport Fishing Association, and I worked worked there back in the 90s. So I just, I had this long career in fishing, and it was like, well, go figure it out. It's like, well, I'm fine when it comes to crappie fishing or... You know, fishing for some bluegills, and I enjoy ice fishing. And and uh, but boy, you put me on a in a in a setting where you got to go out and you got to dial in some big walleyes. I'm I'm just probably not the one with the skill set for that. However, um, having been a part of that, I really got to know what that person was like, and I yeah. wanted to really capture that in the in the essence of the story. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I may have to try and find the uh, the kids' books and go back and read those myself. Oh no doubt, they, they, they sound they sound interesting even for an adult. Absolutely. All right, uh, Wayne, we need to take uh, our first break uh, here. Folks, we'll be back with more of American Roots Outdoors Radio. And we're going to talk about the uh, the book that uh, uh, she has written uh, about women fishing. Yes. We'll do that right after this. Hey, everybody. This is Michael Water with Bone Collector, and you're listening to my buddy Alex Rutledge on American Roots Outdoors, man. Don't miss an episode. a big old. Hornady Ammunition presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends. I'm Red Bull Mike Grace. Wayne Locke is here. And our special guest, we've been talking about this, some books that she has written. And Wayne, we in the first segment there, we, we never did get to the the title of the series of books and, and the titles of the books. So let's find out if people want to go online and try and find these, where they need to go find them. Um, it is Fish on Kids Books. And um, the first book is A Whirlwind Opener. There are six books in the series, and they do kind of build on each other in a series. They're numbered, and it's pretty easy to see. Um, reading them in order is a good idea. And they're available at Amazon, um, as well as my own uh, Fish on Kids books page. Okay, so uh, Fish on Kids would be the page to go to, or go to Amazon, find them on there. That's fantastic. I think a lot of people are going to want to do that. Yeah, who is the uh, publisher for the books on that? Uh, we independently published them with our own. Um, we printed them ourselves and independently published. Great. Wow, yeah, a tremendous success. All right, so let's talk about, uh, Wayne, the, the book that, uh, that Christine has written now about the 18 women in the outdoors. Yes, uh, you had a book that came out, Why Women Hunt. 
And uh, I was actually talking to Brenda Valentine a, a few years ago, and uh, she sent me a few copies of that book that I gave out to the uh, NWTF uh, Women in the Outdoors event that I was doing. And uh, oh. I, I, it really caught my interest in, in the fact that what I found intriguing about it is the book wasn't written just for women. I mean, as a guy, I started, you know, I figured, oh, I'll take a quick look at this. And I couldn't put it down till I was done with the book. So kudos, oh, to, so yeah, kudos to you. that You were, I mean, you're that good that once you pick, I guarantee folks, when once you pick this book up and start reading it, you're not going to put it down till you're done. But, you know, where, where did the inspiration for that book come from and what made you write that? Well, it really was Brenda who kind of kicked that over into my court. And I do thank her for that. Um, the publisher wanted to do something. This is a publisher, um, Wild River Press, out of Washington State. And um, they wanted to do a book about women and hunting. And when I got in the loop and started the conversation about picking it up, I, I said, well, I'm kind of a storyteller. Like, I don't, I have, I'm late to hunting, so... Certainly, I don't claim to be expert, even though I hunt, um, but there's a difference between being a hunter and being an expert or a teacher, um, and so I, I was like, I like to tell stories, so I would be very interested in a diverse group of women with diverse backgrounds. How did they get into hunting? Some of them grew up hunting from the time they were knee-high, and that's great. I'd like to hear those stories, but... Some women came through a back door somewhere along the way. And how did that all happen? I think that's fascinating um, because when I would meet people um, like Brenda Valentine or others that are in the book who were hunting from the time they were little, I was a tad bit intimidated by that person because if you didn't start out doing that, how do you ever get in? Right. You know, it felt like there might be this huge barrier that, if you didn't grow up hunting, are you destined to never hunt? And so that didn't seem to make sense. There's got to be a route in. So I loved being able to ask these women, how did you get in? And the other question that I asked each of them was, tell me about a hunt that changed you. And that created really interesting stories because they they really got a little bit more serious at that point in terms of the, not just their accomplishments, but maybe wounds that were healed or um, successes that were celebrated or um, empowerment that was felt um, to their very fingertips. So it was really great to get those deep stories, too. I thought, and you talk about women that hunt. Uh, now, are these all women that, uh, I'm assuming that the various forms of hunting, I mean, deer hunters and, and others and bow hunters and rifle hunters, I mean, did you get a, a diverse group of women like that? I sure did. I got them diverse across the country, diverse in age, diverse in the sense of like an urban setting or a rural or suburban setting, um, diverse kinds of hunting. There's lots of stories. Um, across the board, whether it's turkey hunting or deer hunting or antelope or elk or even um, uh, um, duck hunting and mm. pheasant hunting and grouse hunting and, and even some that are big game in Africa, which was not something that really was on my radar until after doing this book because the way the women talked about their experiences in Africa uh, I need to go and I need to do that because 
it was amazing. I'll go with you if you need someone to keep you company. <laughs> yeah, I'll, 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 I'll carry the typewriter. <laughs> you know, one of the things I found interesting, though, with that, that book that you did is that the the age range. I mean, you had everything, if I, if I recall correctly, because it's been a few years since I read the book, but it, it was like a, a 19 or 20-year-old girl at one end of the spectrum. And at the other end, you were you had a grandmother. Right. And, and then right, on sure. the other one end of the spectrum, you had rural community people, you know, ladies. And then you had someone that grew up in the, the city who, to me, I think was the biggest um, shock of how you wrote that one is is with her. Can you talk a little bit about her? Well, there were two gals in particular that came out of a very urban environment. Um, one was the youngest, I believe, in the story, uh, a college student. I think she was about 19 or so when I interviewed her. And she grew up in Allentown, PA. Wow. And um, she was a part of John Anoni's Camp Compass Academy. And it's a program that really, through the school dis- system, uh, introduces kids to the outdoors and particularly hunting. And um, it was fascinating to me that um, even now as a young black adult in college, she takes every opportunity she can to talk about her passion for hunting still as an adult and continues to donate her time to go back to the school to work with 13 and 14 and 15-year-olds that were like her when she was learning. And um, she came from Jamaican family immigrants that became citizens of America. And I just thought her story was incredible to hear what it meant to be connected to the land, to the earth, to the animals, and to the meat that they eat. Yeah, she found part of her culture that she probably didn't even know was there. She felt it for sure. And she felt there was definitely a connection to some of her farming ancestors in uh, jamaica as well wow wow that is fantastic and we want to talk more but it is time for us to take another break folks you're listening to american roots outdoors radio we'll be back with more with christine houtman wayne Locke, and uh, i'll be back i'll be back as well we'll be back in just a moment right here right now this is chancy walters listening to american roots outdoors with alex rutledge knows our curve bulls passed on down planted deep in the ground Around your heart, so you never gotta worry what the wind might do. American Roots. Hornady presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. I'm the Red Bull Mike Race. Alex not with us today. Wayne Locke is in the studio, and we have Christine Houtman, uh, who has joined us. And we're talking about this. First of all, the series of kids' books that she wrote concerning the outdoors and fishing. And now we're talking about a book that she has written uh, about women who hunt. And it sounds fascinating. It really does. And, and to take someone who grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, introduce them to the outdoors and, and hear that story. Uh, Christine, do you find that if women read your books that they then want to get involved in the outdoors as well? Well, I think that they should be able to find and hopefully will find someone within those pages that could mirror their path. And mm-hmm. so if they've never hunted before, they could certainly see several women in there who also didn't hunt until they were 30-something or 40-something or even 50-something. And so to be able to hear those stories and identify with that, to know it's not too late if you want to do it. 
And that's probably... um, mentorship was one of the big elements that everyone spoke about, though. So it's not one of those things that you usually set off to do all by yourself. You definitely need someone mm-hmm. to open the door and introduce you. And that's probably one of the things I found fascinating with the book is uh, that when you read it, you can see that no matter where you come from in life as a, as a woman and you pick this book up, where you live, how old you are, someone in that book you're going to relate to. And, I, and it's going to capture your interest, and you're going to say to yourself, hey, I can do this too. But, you know, speaking of, of getting into hunting late and, and, you know, maybe not doing it the way you're getting into it the way you thought you would, you have a very interesting story of how you got into hunting. Well, thank you. Um, as a grandma, <laughs> I got in, and it started by looking down a spearing hole for sturgeon spearing for me. Um, and I was like, this doesn't, I mean, even though it's a fish that you're going after, it just didn't feel like fishing to me because I'd never on a boat felt like I was waiting for the opportunity to kill this fish, you know, like it was the moment mm-hmm. to harvest and you know, kind of always have that catch and release, release option. Right. So, um, here I was staring down this hole with this, um, spear, uh, nearby waiting for the opportunity. And I was so energized by it. It was so much fun. I didn't actually spear one. I didn't see one, but I enjoyed it enough that I said, maybe I could do this. Maybe I, maybe I am ready for this. And so that's when I took it on. And I've been so thankful. I've been turkey hunting. I've been deer hunting. I've been antelope hunting. Um, I've taken turkey and antelope. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty happy. And I've been pheasant hunting as well. That's I was I thought that was cool when I read about how you got into it. You know, ice fishing for sturgeon with a spear. Now anybody wow. here in the Ozarks <laughs> is going to be like, first off, what is ice fishing? What? <laughs> you know, because you don't get a whole lot of ice around here in the in the Ozarks to be able to ice fish during the winter time. But uh, I myself come from Cleveland, Ohio, so um, you know, ice fishing was uh, just a thing we all did in the winter time. And uh, I remember up on Lake Erie, you used to be able to just drive your truck or drive your car right out onto Lake Erie. You know, drill your hole, set up your tent fish drive on back now the last few years though we haven't been able to quite do that but uh the lake just hasn't frozen enough but uh i've told you about my ice my ice fishing experience right was i went to michigan one time on an invite to go to michigan and go ice fishing and uh, we were going up for the weekend we didn't get a chance to do any fishing because it took most of the day saturday to dig a hole big enough for the boat oh jeez. <laughs> oh jeez. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's good for those, let me tell you. <laughs> something that you said when we were getting started. You said that you felt that this book was really appropriate for men to enjoy reading, too, and that you enjoyed it very much. And I just want to thank you for recognizing that. It really isn't just for a book for women to read. I really hope men would read this book and hopefully enlighten them to the different paths that women have taken to hunting and realize that almost every single one of these women was influenced by a man in her life somehow, whether it was a dad or a husband or a gu- some other guy, a guide or a teacher, someone introduced them and mentored them in. And it was just incredibly important. So I think men would really benefit from reading this book and opening their eyes to growing hunting and growing participation in hunting the people around them. Yeah, Christine, if someone is married or has a girlfriend or whatever the case may be, uh, and they would like for them to be a hunter or a fisher person, uh, to be a partner to go hunting and fishing with, but you just can't seem to get her off center. And, and I'm speaking from experience because my wife has no interest in hunting whatsoever. 
Uh, she'll go with me to set up tree stands and enjoys getting out and taking pictures. But when it comes to getting up at 4.30 and going and sitting in a tree or sitting in a blind or sitting at the base of an old oak tree looking for a deer, she's just not interested at all. Would you find that by reading this book that she might become interested? I think so, because there are several stories of women just like her in there. Uh, one of the, that's the very first story in the book of Nancy Jo Adams. She told her husband, no, I don't want to go do that. Why would I want to go do that? Blah, 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 for probably more than 10 years. And one day, and the story unfolds, um, she decided to say yes, and it changed her life. Wow. And there are other stories of women. One woman was a vegetarian, and she started feeding her children meat as they were growing up. And and she never thought that she would be a hunter. But you know what? <laughs> she is, <laughs> partly because she got a little closer to where her meat comes from and clean, organic meat. And I just think that there's so many ways to find your path in that the opportunity to hear these stories, read these stories, really opens up that I could do that. Honestly, if I, in my 50s, and a grandma, who, if I could do it, anybody can take this on. Well, I'll have to tell my wife exactly that. And I can, and I can tell you that here about three years ago, I, my wife and I have been married, will be 41 years in December. And she has never wanted to hunt and never wanted to go fishing. Well, here about three weeks ago, or three years ago, we had the, uh, some friends say, we're going to this pay lake. It's real clean. It's easy to get to. And we're going to go camp fishing. She said, I don't know if I want to go do that. And I was like, oh, come on, dear. You can sit in your lawn chair, wear your shorts and your tank top. You can get some sun, if nothing else. And she went and she hooked into about a six-pound channel cat. And she is hooked. Now, every weekend, we're going to go fishing this weekend? We're going to go fishing Saturday? She, she, I mean, all it took was well, catching know, one good fish. Right. We, we also, I, I'm also aware of a number of women's organizations that really introduce women to fishing or hunting through their own clubs and such. And sometimes women enjoy their path in as a little bit more kind of through a sisterhood, that it's maybe a little bit more fun to go on a hunting trip with other women sure. than it is with the guys. And that, and I'm not saying I haven't been hunting with the guys, but I actually like going to do those kinds of things with other gals. So that's just something that I like. And I think there might be other women like me that they think that's kind of a fun girls trip. And a little more of a social, and women like to be in a social setting, and that would be a little more social for them. And I am not a terribly competitive person. I, if I am competitive, it's with myself. And so it's with maybe wanting to be the best that I can be or to write a great book or to win an award with a book that I've written or something like that, which Why Women Hunt did win the gold, um, gold medal award for the Independent Book Publishers Associ Association this year with wow. the Ben Franklin Award. I'm really pleased to say. Um, so that was quite an honor. But... Um, so I am competitive with myself, but I'm not necessarily competitive with someone else in my group. And women tend to be very encouraging, very uplifting, very, you can do this, you've got this, and doing whatever they can to help them. And it's just kind of, I think, how a lot of gals are wired, and it works really well. So there are groups like Nancy Jo Adams. She takes a group of women hunting uh, turkey hunting every year and sometimes deer hunting too and so you might have eight or ten gals all going on a trip with nancy and so nancy joe so there's a lot of ways in where can people get the book i know and we're just got a couple of minutes left here in the program where can people get a copy of the book 
Well, the publisher is Wild River Press, and they set up a website simply called the title of the book, whywomenhunt.com. And so when you land on that page, you can learn a little bit more about the book. And then when you choose to purchase, it takes you to the Wild River Press shopping cart for you to be able to order the book from them. And it's a beautiful hardcover, um, full color, four color, coffee table style book that you would be very pleased and proud to have in your home. All right. Well, Christine, we're going to touch more a little bit on this in the uh, podcast segment. So, folks, thanks for uh, joining us today on American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge. Uh, again, this is uh, Wayne Locke and Mike Crace is in the studio here. And uh, one thing I want to tell everybody, go to the podcast because this interview is not going to end. Go to the podcast, take a listen to the rest of the interview here with Christine. And uh, Mike, as we always say here in the outdoors with uh, Alex and that, when your roots run deep and strong, there is no reason to fear the wind. Till next week, everybody. So you never gotta worry what the wind might do. American Roots. Thank you for joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station. Hornady presents. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge. We have Mike Crace. This is Wayne Locke, and I have Christine Houtman, KJ uh, pen name, uh, author that we've been talking to. If you are listening to this right now, that means you are on the bonus segment, which means you are on the podcast. We thank you for listening to the podcast, and be sure to leave a review at the end of the podcast. We greatly appreciate it. it does help in our rankings. Christine, one of the things that uh, you had talked about on um, the last segment of the radio show was how, you know, this book can inspire someone to get involved, get in late. Uh, we had a, a gentleman, Eddie Owens, uh, whose wife, uh, Redbone, remember he was a guest on mm -hmm. there? And yeah. His wife didn't want nothing to He was a big uh, coyote hunter, coyote trapper, hunter. Yep. and stuff like that. And she wanted nothing to do with it, and he finally convinced her to go out with her one night. And she had an experience where a coyote came like 15 steps from her mm -hmm. right along the fence row. And he says that she looked at that, looked at the coyote, looked back at him, and she was hooked from there on out. Now he says he has trouble going out by himself because she always wants to tag along. <laughs> <laughs> and then when the light bulb goes on, man, it usually stays on. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it never turns off either. It never turns off. One of the one of the things for me was that I didn't necessarily have, um, I had had some good shotgunning experience and I had some handgun experience just from target shooting and range time and stuff like that. But I didn't have a lot of long range rifle. And so I went to a long range rifle school in Texas and it was doing that that gave me the confidence to be able to go big game hunting. And so there can be some barriers that you need to overcome. It isn't just you know, at a certain age saying, oh, I'm going to go do this. Sometimes you have to do some gap filling on some skills because if you grew up doing those from 12 to 18 to 20 and it's second nature to you, you don't realize that someone who's 30 or 40 or whatever is also going, but I haven't done that. I don't know if I have the ability to place the shot correctly. And I needed to know how to use my scope. I needed to understand the ballistics. And so it was really important for me to have that confidence. Yeah, and probably, and that's probably a bit intimidating 
for for the ladies that have not grown up uh, shooting and especially rifles and things like that. All right, while we were on a on a break here before we started doing the podcast uh, segment, the bonus segment of the show, you were telling us you have also written a a book that has done uh, uh, kind of a spiritual uh, inspirational book. Tell us about this. Yes, I'm so happy with this book. It's one of my favorite things that I've written. Um, I co-authored this book with a friend of mine, Bill Miller, who was the editor of North American Hunter magazine. He and I both worked together at North American Hunting Club for many years, um, and that's where I ran the fishing tournament side with North American Mm -hmm. Fishing Club. But anyway, um, Bill and I co-authored this book together, and there are 51 stories in the book. They're divided into the seasons of the year, so four parts, and each one is a short story that either Bill and I take you on um, that's a hunting or fishing-related story where we like to think of it as the thin places where the veil between heaven and earth is thin. And when you're out, whether it's uh, early morning on the water or whether it's that daybreak um, on a hunting day in the turkey woods or or in a stand, um, there, there can be moments that you glean from that that stick with you forever or lessons learned. And so Bill and I compiled these stories, and I've heard from quite a number of people that they really enjoy, let's say, reading one story a day as kind of like a morning devotional or something. We have a little Bible verse that's connected to each one and a short little prayer at the end of each story. So it kind of fits pretty nice for a little devotional, and it's called Reflections Under the Big Pine. I love that title. I mean, that, that title sells the book all by itself. Right. <laughs> That's just fantastic. Well, you can thank Bill for that one. That was his idea, so he did good. <laughs> you know, I, I can just imagine, I have not seen the cover, although I'm going to look it up here in a little while, uh, but uh, I can imagine uh, just that scene, maybe a light mist and a big pine tree uh, sitting on a hill and, and, a, and a mist around. I mean, I don't know what the, the actual cover looks like, but I could just imagine that being the book cover. And it has won some awards, too, with um, the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Writers. Hmm. And um, so I'm really I'm really happy about that. And I do like what you said about how there's that, that thin line, um, you know, between, you know, heaven, the reality, where you're sitting. Because so many times, and I know Redbone, I know you've experienced this, too, where some of your clearest thoughts you have in life is when you're in the woods. Or when you're on that boat, or when you're just waiting for that bobber to bob up and down, it's just—it's amazing that you just the clarity that can hit um, while you're just in that peaceful moment, the, the sun rising, you know, maybe the turkeys start gobbling. Um, there's just something special about it, and I tell you, man, there—it's definitely God's world, God's creation out yeah, there. Yeah, there's nothing more peaceful than that moment on the face of the earth. I call it when when the when the woods wake up. Yes, when the woods wake up, there's nothing more peaceful and. and and it makes you feel closer to God than at any other time, any other time. Actually, I'm looking at the Reflections Under the Big Pine book cover right now. And uh, called it up on Amazon. Right, folks, if you, want to pick you one up, if you want to pick one up, they're $19.95. You'll find it on Amazon. And it uh, sounds like great reading. And I like the idea of kind of a daily devotional. Oh, and our listeners are going to love that, too. Enjoy it. Yep. Uh, Christine, one of the things I wanted to touch base before we get off you know the podcast and that here because we only got a few minutes left is what are what is some of the obstacles that you found talking to women that they had in common that is the reason they did not get into it before you know what is it that a woman can do or who should they contact to say 
you know what, I'm ready for this. This is the obstacle I thought I was, you know, was going to stop me from ever doing it. Is there a common one out there that everybody had or what did you find? I would say the most common thread that ran through all of the stories was the concept of mentorship and that you just can't decide one day to become a hunter on your own. And the subject matter is too deep and too vast and you'll make too many mistakes and, and there's too much equipment and it would be too expensive. You really need someone to create the opportunity for you so that the interest can follow. And then once the interest and the passion is there, then the desire to save up for this or to buy that or to plan a vacation around a hunt or something, that'll come later. But the very beginning kind of has to come from someone else creating that opportunity. And so some of the gals in the book were very, very experienced hunters, and they take it on themselves to be that mentor. And one gal in particular, I'm remembering her story, Meadow Kaufeld, how she said that, listen, nothing, nothing I like better than being in the woods by myself for a hunt, but I'm just being selfish when I do that all the time. Wow. And I have to give up some of my days so that I'm bringing somebody else along. It might not be quite as much fun for me because I'm not getting my own day, but it's worth it in the long run because I know I'm making a difference in that person's life and in their future and in hunting's future. The more women we have hunting, the more families will be hunting. The more families you have hunting, the more the kids are going to grow up with it. And that means boys and girls are going to grow up hunting. So you cannot miss, there's, you can't miss with introducing women to hunting. No, not at all, especially with a lot of single mothers out there. And they're single dads with daughters. I mean, that's another thing. I think getting those um, books for your daughter, getting that, you know, why women hunt, a guy should read it because it'll help him get his daughter and his, you know, girlfriend, wife involved. But, Christine, I, I, we're, we're coming to the end of the, the program here. So I, I do want to tell you, thank you very much for joining us. Absolutely. There is so much well, thank that. Thank you uh, for inviting. Me. Yeah, there is so much that we got to get on with these, uh, getting the ladies out there and getting the daughters out there and that. But um, again, folks, if you have not gotten that copy of that book or read it, Why Women Hunt, you've got to pick it up. Also, I encourage you check to see if your school has that set of books in the in the school because if they don't, you need to talk to the school administrators to find out about how getting a set of those books in there for the kids to learn and read is going to be fantastic. Also, folks, you're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge, Mike Crace, Wayne Locke, Christine. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast here. And folks, like we say all the time, when your roots are deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind.